When Jordan told me that you were going through a series on union with Christ, and he asked if I would preach into that series, and he said, listen, I want you to preach on union with Christ, what that says about our identity. And I was just singing his praises to my wife, you can ask her, because sometimes when I go places, they ask me to preach on the hard things, things nobody else wants to talk about. And he said, he gave me like, he lobbed the softball right there for me to hit, because this is, a, this is a, a central piece of the gospel. In fact, I would say this is crucial. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of our faith. Our identity is fundamental. The question of um, who am I is a deep question. It's a question that, that echoes, it's a question that haunts us. And it can haunt us because generally we live as if our identity is up to us. It's up to us to either create it, it's up to us to try to improve it, or it's up to us to rescue it. And when, we, when our identity is up to us, when we think that we are who we make ourselves to be, our identity is either the sum of our accomplishments or our failures. We might think our identity it comes from our relationships, or our desires, or our acquisitions, or the affirmations that we receive. And when that's true, we can never actually truly rest. Because if it's up to us to create or improve, then we are always having to create or improve it. Right? We can never let down. We can never let go. And then we are also always trying to protect our identity from the things that threaten it. And that might be somebody else, what they might say or do about me. So I don't want to have people say things that threaten my identity. But it also can be from internal things. Right? The, the things that I know about myself that I don't want you to know, and if you knew them, you might think less of me. Right? So we, we go into places of hiding the things that don't fit the identity we want to project out there for everybody to see who we are. Now, we might come to a place where we recognize that identity is not something that we can create, but we still might live as if it's up to us to rescue so if we think that our identity is defined by all the things that have happened to me in my life, the experiences that I have, that, that can be like the background hum that, that shapes everything that I do and how I see myself and others. And, and so what we can do is, if we're in that place, we think, I'm going to work to undo what's been done to me. Or we might think that our identity comes from the things that have been said about us, the things that have been said to us, that over us. And some of those things might be like, like a curse that, that echoes in our minds. And so we, we think we are going to undo the words that have been said against me, the things that were said about me that were harmful. I'm going to undo, I'm going to rescue my identity from those words. And when we do that, um, when we are trying to rescue our identity, the reality is it feels like it is an uphill battle. Right? It feels like, like you're, you're, you're pushing, you're moving, you're, you're able to get it through. But, but the moment somebody else says something that echoes what was that message from before, it's a trigger and it pulls you right back. Or, or the moment something happens that seems to me an echo of something that happened to me before, it triggers and we, we go right back. What we can do that's actually even harder is we might recognize that I can't rescue my identity, but maybe my wife can. Maybe my spouse can rescue my identity. Maybe my children can. Or my friends. I need you so I can feel good about me. And sometimes we think that's love. But the reality is what we're doing is we're giving somebody a burden that is too heavy for them to carry. 
And the reason it's a burden that's too heavy for them to carry, one of it is, is that our identity is closely tied to our sense of value, our sense of worth, which actually makes sense, right? If you find a painting and it's identified as a Pablo Picasso, that's going to have a heck of a lot more worth than if you find a painting and it's identified as a Ken Ross, right? <laughs> identity and worth, they go together. They, they, are, they are tied together. It actually makes sense, which is why when we feel unseen, when we feel that somebody doesn't really know us, we don't just feel misunderstood. We feel unvalued. So we live as if our identity and our worth is somehow up to us. We are relentlessly self-conscious, self-protective, and self-seeking. And it is exhausting, isn't it? I mean, anybody else get tired of this? Right? It, it is exhausting. It takes so much energy. And it, not only does it take so much energy, we are constantly battling a sense of futility, and we are battling the place where we feel inadequate. And the reason is simple. Because we are inadequate to create our rescue or improve our identity and our worth. It is futile to go about trying to create or improve our rescue our identity and worth because we were never able it meant we were never meant to carry this burden we're never able to actually do enough so we want to go and look at what we find in the beginning in genesis to to see uh, something of of how god intended things to be in the beginning so in genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 it says god created man in his own image the image of god he created them male and female he created them made in his image. That speaks fundamentally to our identity. There is something about who we were made to be, that we were meant to be God's presence, God's glory in creation. It's probably better to say we were made as his image, as his presence, as his glory in creation. And not just as his image or presence, right? We were the pinnacle of creation. We were the very good of creation. We were the place of, of God's delight being the greatest. And then you see that, that woven into that place of identity is also that place of, of our worth or our value. You find it, for example, in places like Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5 where it's speaking about the majesty of God. And what is one of the things they talk about to show how majestic God is? Us. You made us a little bit lower than God, and we were crowned with glory and honor. See, there's something of, of made a little bit lower than God that speaks to identity, but crowned with glory and honor. That speaks to something of, of value and worth. God wove these things through in the beginning. If you think about what it was like in the beginning, there was no shame in the beginning. Nothing to cripple that sense of worth, of self-worth. Nothing to make you question and wonder, I wonder if somebody would actually like me if they knew things about me. Do I, do I actually matter? Do I have worth? There was no posing, right? No, no place of, of trying to create this image so that we can be acceptable and loved. Uh, they, they were fully themselves and fully at ease in who they were. When you look at Adam and Eve and it says that they were naked and ashamed, that means that there was just a sense of being at ease in who they were and who they were with each other. No shame in the beginning. So you see that, that our identity, it's not something that we can earn or create. Our identity is bestowed. Identity is something that is given to us, but not given as an item that God deposits to us, right? Our identity is given in relationship. It is a relational uh, piece where we know who we are. We know who we are only in relationship with our Father. 
which is why when we come to Genesis 3, uh, we see that, that that is lost. And actually, the temptation that the enemy brings, it, 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 it hones in on some of these issues of identity. One of them is God's identity. Right? The, the insinuation, one layer of you will be like God, is, is actually that God is holding something back from you that's good. So how good is he if he's holding back this, this good thing from you? Another layer was this, this temptation to live independently from God. You will be like God means you don't need God. You don't need to be dependent on him. You can live independently from him, which means you're not dependent on him for your identity and worth. You're independent of him for your identity and your worth. And, and another layer, it was this, this message that the identity and the glory that we were created with, the image of God that God had bestowed on us, somehow actually wasn't enough. And so we rebel. And in our rebellion, uh, sin enters in the image of God that we are created in. It becomes marred by that sin. The image of God is still present. It's not gone. It's not erased. But it's distorted by the corruption of sin. Think of it as, as a funhouse mirror, right, that, that throws back a, a weird reflection. It's no longer this pure image of God. It's the image of God that's been distorted by sin. And with that, then, shame enters in. When we lose who we are, our identity and worth, shame enters in. And you see that Adam and Eve, they are ashamed of who they are, and they hide. And then you see they, they get fig leaves to try to cover themselves. And from that point forward, we all create our own fig leaves. Right? The things that we can do to try to hide our shame, to hide the things about us that we don't want everybody else to see so that we might be lovable and acceptable and have worth. From our rebellion forward, we battle the identity of sin and shame and inadequacy and worthlessness. We battle the identity of being on our own. Because we lost who we were, and we lost the way to know who we are, because we lost our relationship with the Father. And so we know there's something wrong inside. There's something in us that knows that we were somehow meant to be more, we were meant for more, and we are haunted by these shadows of glory. And so we hunger for what was lost, and we try to recreate it, we try to grasp it by trying to establish, to create, or to improve, or to rescue our identity and our worth. Now, the fact that we, um, we bear the distorted image of God doesn't mean that the image of God is irrecoverable. And it doesn't mean that we have no worth. It's that our identity and our worth are held captive by sin. In fact, Scripture is pretty clear that our value is more than we can imagine. You have things like this in, in Psalm 49, verses 7 and 8. It says, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. Or think about what we heard in Luke chapter 9, verse 25, that Cindy read, where Jesus is speaking and he says, what good is it if you gain the world and let lose yourself? So you think about it as scales, a balance. And on one side, he's saying all of the world and the fame and the glory and the power that you find in the world on one side. And on the other side is you. What's worth more? He's saying you are. If we were worthless, the blood of sheep and goats would have been enough to rescue us. 
It took the blood of Jesus, the very Son of God, to redeem us, to rescue us, to restore us to relationship with the Father so that we can be united with Christ. And in that restoration of the relationship with the Father is a restoration of the image of God in us. And this is why we were reading from Isaiah uh, chapter 62. Uh, Amazing verses that we find here. It says um, in verse 2, The nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. Now, a couple of things that you find there. This is the Lord speaking to his people. He's speaking prophetically to these people who had rejected the covenant, who had gone into idolatry, and therefore they had gone into exile. So these are not people that have done amazing things, and therefore he gives them a new name. These are the people who have rebelled against God. And they are given a new name. And your name speaks to your identity. It speaks to your character. It speaks to your worth. It speaks to who you are. This is actually where their glory comes from. And it's very clear. The Lord bestows this, right? This is a new name the Lord bestows. It's not that they earn it. It's not that they repent and get themselves back into shape. And therefore, the Lord rewards their work with a new identity. This is His gift of grace. Is not something that we can earn. See, our identity, who we are, it is something that is bestowed. It's given. It is not earned. And it is not ours to create or improve or rescue. Our identity is not the product of what others say about us. Our identity is not the summation of our accomplishments or our our failures. Our identity is not uh, the, the story that we have written from the hurts that we have received. When we are cut off from the Father, uh, we actually let those things define us because we don't know who we are apart from Him. But listen to the words that, that Isaiah records that the Lord speaks about uh, the people. He says that you will be married. Married, right? What is happening in a marriage? You take two and they are united and they become one. This is speaking to our union with Christ. And in that he says, you're no longer abandoned. You're no longer on your own. You're no longer rejected. He says that my delight is in you, which means no longer scorned, no longer battling that place of worthlessness, no longer dealing with an identity of shame and failure and sin, no longer ruined or empty. We have a new identity when we are united with Christ. The image of God that was lost in our rebellion is actually restored. And all of the things that we have thought defined us no longer define us. That is the gift of God's grace. And since our identity and our worth is restored by our union with Christ, since it is something that is bestowed, it's given to us, it's not something we create or improve or rescue, it doesn't depend on us somehow keeping it or making it, since it doesn't depend on us, it means it cannot be taken away. And our identity cannot be diminished. Now, we don't always experience it that way, right? There's the objective truth of what God has done, and there's our subjective experience of it. We grow in our experience of it. But if our identity and worth is actually anchored in Jesus and what he has done, not anchored in us and what we do, but anchored in the finished work of the cross, applied into our lives by God the Holy Spirit, uniting us to Christ, that means our identity can never be lost, and it can never be diminished. Do you see the rest that comes from this? I mean, this is the place you're supposed to rest in this. This is why 
we read from Hebrews. I, I find this an amazing um, scripture. We, we know these, these words from Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, I want to know, when you first hear those words, you think, that is such good news. It doesn't sound like good news, does it? Everything is uncovered. Nothing is hidden. The thing that we actually fear the most. But the reality is, these words come in a chapter that is talking about rest. It's directly connected into rest from before and from what follows. Now, you could certainly say that there's, there's a place of relief, right? If I'm no longer having to hide things from God because he sees it anyway, there's a relief. I don't have to expend that energy trying to hide things from God. But that just scratches the surface. There is so much more. If you have been rescued by Jesus, if you are united with Christ, what is uncovered? What is laid bare? Jesus is. Right? If you're united with Christ, if you're one with him, then what is uncovered and laid bare is actually guilt erased, shame banished, and glory restored. What is uncovered and laid bare, if we are united with Jesus, is actually Jesus. And this means we can rest in this. This is why it says that we can rest uh, this is why it says that we can then, follows right after this, approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because we know who we are in him. We know that we actually have a right as sons and daughters of the king of kings to go into his presence and receive mercy and receive grace to help us in our time of need. See, everything being laid bare is actually about resting in what Jesus has done for us and who he has made us to be. This is the great truth that the Apostle John, um, when he is writing in, in 1 John, he, right before chapter 3, he's, he's explaining what it is that we are those who are born of God, right? That you are, you are born of God, not born of the world. But that, he, he, it catches him short, and he goes into praise. And so you have verse 1 of, of 1 John chapter 3, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I mean, he's, he's stunned by this. He's saying that, that God's love is lavished on us in order to make us children of God. And that is what we are. He doesn't say, this is what you might be. This is what you should be. This is what, if you try really, really hard to be good, that you can be. This is what we are. If we have been united with Christ, that means that our identity has changed from shame to glory, from sin to righteousness, from being enemies of God to being the beloved children of God. If you have been rescued by Jesus, that is what you are. You are the beloved child of God. And, and when he says that is what you are, it's the truth that you will never be more fully a child of God than you are right now. There's not that if you do good things, you become more a child of God. If you do bad things, you become less a child of God. You will never be more fully a child of God than you are right now. You will never be more fully loved by God than you are right now. Because right? it's not that he loves us more when we do good things and loves us less when we do bad things. We are those who have been lavished with his love. The fullness of the Father's love has been poured out on you. Now, we, 
we grow in our experience of that truth. There are things that, that um, block us from, from the things that block us from seeing that and experience it. We grow in that experience of his love and his being his children. But if you have been united with Christ, you are fully a child of God and you are fully loved by God now. And that identity, that begins to orient us. That becomes the lens through which we see ourselves, we see God, and we see the world. It begins to shape our identity. It begins to shape our desires. And that, therefore, begins to shape the way that we live. This is why uh, the Apostle John says in verse 3, all those who have this hope in Him, talking about being made children of God, all those who have this hope in Him, purify themselves just as He is pure. He does not say that we should purify ourselves, but that we do purify ourselves. If you have this hope, you do purify yourselves. In other words, God's gift to us, making us new creations, making us children of God, is not a motivation for purifying yourself. It's not, look at this wonderful thing God has done for you, now try hard to be good. It's not the motivation for purifying ourselves, it's actually the cause of purifying ourselves. If we have been made children of God, then we are called to live out what he has done. We do that because we are living into the work that he has done. I would say that the primary struggle we have with holiness isn't because we lack discipline or self-control. Now, those can be issues. I'm not saying that's not important. But primarily, our struggle with holiness is because we don't know who we are or we forget who we are. And when we forget who we are, we live a life of grasping. We go into the place of self-protection and striving in order to establish or improve or rescue our identity and our worth. A holy life flows out of a holy identity. It flows out of what God has done and who he's made us to be when we are united with him, with his love lavished upon us, making us children of God. And that speaks to what we are doing in confirmation today. A confirmation is an ordination, the ordination of the people. And in that, we are, we are expecting the Holy Spirit to come and meet and empower us to be the church. Right? It is about being the kingdom of God, His presence in this world. And therefore, confirmation is not about the people coming up confirming things they believe about God. This is actually what God is confirming in them. And so there's a place of, of God confirming who you are as a beloved child of God, who you are as a son or daughter of the King of Kings. It's about being empowered by the Holy Spirit to step into who he has made you to be and therefore to do what he has given you to do. Because when we know who we are in him, when we can live in that, we leave behind all of our efforts to establish or improve or rescue our identity and worth. We leave behind the places we are grasping and self-conscious which means that we are in that place of actually letting the love of God not just flow in us, but flow through us because we're not grasping our hands are open and we can look and see people not as those who can either uh, create or, or help my identity or a threat to my identity, but we see, these, uh, we see the people around us as those who need the love of God. We can recognize that there are prodigal sons and daughters that need to come home. And I'm not grasping for a sense of identity and worth. I'm not trying to establish myself and create an identity. I'm not self-conscious, which means I can be conscious of others. And that's what it is to be the kingdom of God. 
That is what it is to be the church. That we are those who are so aware of how God sees us, how he is with us and for us, that we can be those who then see others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our identity is not up to us. It's not up to us to create or improve or rescue. Father, we ask that you would forgive us of all the places and the striving and the grasping that we engage in, trying to create an identity or a worth, trying to improve our rescue. Father, by your Spirit, would you work your truth deeper into our hearts, that if we have been rescued by Jesus, we have been made new creations, united with Christ, beloved children of God, sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Would you set us free from all the, the, the striving and the hiding and the grasping that takes so much energy, that we can rest in you and what you have done, we can know your joy in the midst of whatever situation we find ourselves in. That we can be those who see others because we know we are seen and loved and valued. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.